So last Sunday, I took my first crack at songwriting. I would love to tell you that I immediately heard from Chris Tomlin, Bob Coughlin, or the Gettys. I did not. In fact, the first text I received was on Tuesday morning. I crossed off the name at the top of the sender so you would not know who was so incredibly disrespectful. He was in the last service sitting about right there, red polo shirt that was then matched the color of his face. In all seriousness, my songwriting venture was an attempt to introduce the text for last week, and really all of last week was introduction to this week and the weeks to come. Several years ago, I preached a message on the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. That is, the only way to heaven was through faith in Jesus, explicit faith in Jesus and His work on the cross. I even suggested, had the audacity to suggest, that the Jewish people needed faith in Jesus, that Judaism would not suffice. That is, following the Old Testament without faith in Jesus as their Messiah would not result in salvation. I'd like you to think about that for a moment. After the service, I was accosted by a college student back by the sound booth. He was quite animated, actually irritated, that I suggested even Jews needed faith in Jesus to be saved. (laughs) They they were, after all, God's chosen people. How could God forsake them now? They they worship the true God. How could they not go to heaven? He He was quite upset, gently reminded the young man of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, that even he, a ruler and teacher of the Jews, needed to be born again or he would not see the kingdom of heaven. Further, Paul's heart's desire in Romans 10 for Israel was that they be saved. They needed Jesus. Those answers did not suffice, and I don't think I ever saw the young man here again. So, what about it? If I put it to a poll this morning, I know you wouldn't raise your hand, so I wouldn't do that. Is faith in Jesus as the Son of God, God in the flesh, and the good news of the gospel necessary for salvation, even for God's Old Testament people, the Jews? Of course, that topic more broadly has been the subject of much debate debate for some time now. Can people make it to heaven if they faithfully follow the tenets of their own religion outside of Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism? Do do all religious roads lead to heaven? Slowly but very surely, opinions regarding that question have changed, even in the evangelical church. Survey after survey consistently Uh, reveals movement in the answer such that a majority of people, even in the church, believe that that answer is yes. Others will make it. Which means, of course, that faith in Jesus is unnecessary 
I have said it this way before, if that is true, then the cross of Christ was nice, but not necessary. We just spent 20 minutes singing about the cross. Totally unnecessary. If, if you can get to heaven without it. I trust in our study of Hebrews, the answer for you quickly comes to mind. You see, the author had, has been writing to Jewish believers who, who were facing severe persecution and considering quitting and returning to Judaism. And they weren't talking about going to Islam. Islam didn't even exist yet. They, they weren't talking about Hinduism or, or Buddhism. Judaism. And so he writes this pastoral letter to both encourage and frankly warn them of the eternally disastrous consequences of quitting Jesus and the Christian faith. Today he will be even, make it even more clear that Judaism, listen, does not have the way of eternal salvation, that it was preparatory for the coming of Jesus. And he is the only way to heaven, even for Jews or Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists or you. Now, to be clear, this should not breed in us an air of superiority or arrogance or contempt. Rather, it should increase our love for people who are lost, who desperately need faith in Jesus. Last week, we looked at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, where we saw the Melchizedekian priesthood was better than, superior to, the Levitical priesthood, Judaism, and in fact, better than the entire Levitical system. So perhaps you left here last week saying, so what? I've never considered sacrificing a goat. What's the point? I'm glad you came back because the point is found in the rest of this chapter, in fact, through the next several chapters. Because, you see, Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, not Levi. And we will find today that Jesus isn't even from the tribe of Levi and therefore doesn't even meet the requirements to be a Levitical priest, but that's okay. Because another priesthood, a superior priesthood, awaited. Why? I mean, why? Why was it needed? Read the text with me. Hebrews 7, verses 11 and following say this. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not to be designated according to the order of Aaron? That's the question of the morning. Maybe that's your question. What's the big deal? For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. For the one, the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, for which no one has officiated at the altar, for it's evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to, to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clearer still. If another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. 
for it is attested of him, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, hallelujah, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. I want to remind you, this material last week, this week, the weeks to come, requires diligence. That's what he told us. Thinking, going deep. Remember the author had said, concerning this Melchizedekian priesthood, I have a lot to say to you, but you've been too immature to this point, so now having challenged and encouraged us, he launches into it, but it takes mature, critical, deep thinking. These are not weeks in which you can just come in and veg. So last week, we learned about this mysterious Melchizedek. We looked at a story in Genesis chapter 14 where we found Abraham met him on his return from defeating some foreign kings and rescuing his nephew Lot. We found Melchizedek was king of righteousness and king of Salem, and he was also, and this should be a king, he was a priest of God Most High. That's interesting. The same God, the only true God that Abraham worshipped. Well, we saw Melchizedek blessed Abraham, and Abraham in turn gave him uh, some tithes from the war spoils. Well, those were just a few short verses in Genesis 14. Melchizedek, we've seen, disappeared from the pages of history for a thousand years until Psalm 110, verse 4, a prophecy about the Messiah where we read that the Messiah would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Not Levi, Melchizedek. He disappears again for another thousand years until Hebrews 5, 6, and 7. And here we see Melchizedek was superior to Abraham and therefore Levi for the following three reasons. Review from last week. First, Melchizedek blessed Abraham, and the greater always blesses the lesser. Second, Melchizedek received tithes from Abraham, suggesting his superiority. He went further to suggest even Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek since he was as yet unborn. Third, don't miss this one. It's important for today. Melchizedek is a perpetual or eternal priest since his death is not recorded for us. So, so why is this important? Because Jesus, as the Messiah, is therefore a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Isn't that exciting? And again you say, so what? So the author tells us why this is important in the rest of this chapter and for the next several chapters. In our text today, I need you to know that he actually kind of starts with the negative. That is, why Levi's priesthood needed to be superseded. I'll give the outline of, of the text. The need for another priesthood, the need for another tribe, and the need for another commandment. Verses 11 and 12. Now, if perfection, stop right there. What does he mean by perfection? He only uses the word here in the book of Hebrews, but he uses the related word perfect or to perfect uh, many, other, many other times in the book. Often he speaks of Jesus being the perfect high priest, but a couple of times he uses it which sheds light on its, on its meaning um, here. Hebrews chapter 10 says, 
for the law, that's what we're talking about, for the law, since it has only a shadow of, of the good things to come and, and not the very form of things. We'll talk about that in weeks ahead. The law can never, by the same sacrifice which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. And we just, we just heard those words. So we see the idea that, that fits our text is, is the law through the sacrifices could never make those who offer the sacrifices perfect. Law can do that. Further, chapter 7, verse 19. Oh, we just read that. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope by contrast through which we draw near. There's the words again. Through which we draw near to God. We couldn't under the law. We can under this better hope. That's the point. It's the end of our text. Those words form an inclusio, bookends um, to the text. Notice the law made nothing perfect but by those uh, uh, by which those observing the law and sacrifices could then draw near to God. From that we derive simply this. Perfection. Here it is. Is the state of righteousness required for a worshiper of God to approach God. Simply said, it is salvation by which our sins are removed and we are brought into right standing and right, right relationship with God so that we can approach Him and draw near. Back to our verses. Of perfection, right standing before God, salvation, a right relationship with God, was through the Levitical priesthood. What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? Remember, Aaron was of the tribe of Levi. Okay, so there were 12 tribes. One of them was, one of them was the tribe of Levi, and within that line was Aaron, and from his line came the priests, such that I could say that all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. Aaron was from the tribe of Levi, and it was his physical descendants who served as priests. The idea here is if salvation unto perfection could come through the Levitical priesthood, what need would there be for another priest? That's the question of the morning. It's the question the gentleman had for me back by the sound booth. Maybe the question you have. The the implication is perfection or salvation could not be attained through the Levitical priesthood, its system and its sacrifices. Notice the parentheses there. For on the basis of it, that is the priesthood, the people received the law. What does that mean? Simply this. All of that was received at the same time, and all of that, the law and the priesthood, went together. The law of Moses, in fact, I would say, included the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system. You see, we normally think of the law as those 613 commands. Do this, don't do this, 365, don't do this, one for every day of the year. But the problem is, from the beginning, no one has ever been able to keep the law perfectly, thereby leading to perfection. The law can make nobody perfect. 
It could, it could never lead to perfection because we got uh, hundreds of laws that we can't keep. So at the same time the law was given, so also were the plans for the tabernacle, as well as the Levitical priesthood and the whole system of sacrifices. You see, when people broke the law and break the law, they would. They would need a place of sacrifice by which they could find forgiveness and cleansing. But now, the author introduces a stunning truth. That system could never make his followers perfect. Sorry, young man who met me in the sound booth that day, the Levitical system, the Old Testament system could never make his followers eternally perfect. Now, you, you may know this, especially if you were here during our study of Romans and, and Galatians, where Paul makes it abundantly clear that salvation is by grace through faith under the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And it has never been by the works of the law. For you, I'm going to say it this way, never by being good. Consider Galatians 2.16. Nevertheless, knowing uh, th that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Do you think he is trying to get a point across? You cannot be justified, made right, find salvation, find perfection by the law. Why? Well, he goes on in chapter 3 to tell us, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed, listen, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, the 613 laws perfectly every day of your life to perform them. Now, that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for rather than Habakkuk, the righteous man shall live by faith. So the problem with seeking to be made right or justified by the law, is that no one to include Jews and you, no one can keep the law perfectly all of the time. You, you can't be made perfect by the law because you aren't perfect and you cannot keep the law perfectly. If I had the time this morning, I could take the time to prove that every one of you sitting in this room, every one of you, you've broken not one, but all 10 of the commandments. All of you. I could prove it. You don't believe me? Talk to me afterward. So, what then was the purpose of the law if it wasn't to justify us? Galatians answers that too, chapter 3, verse 19. Why the law then? It's a good question. It was added because of transgressions or sins, having been ordained through the agency, uh, through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed, singular Jesus, would come to whom the promise had been made. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? I mean, if it doesn't save us, is it con No, may it never be. For if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, that's what the author of Hebrews is saying, it could not. For a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness, righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in G Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Therefore... The law has become our tutor, not to justify us. It can't. 
but to lead us to Christ, the only one who can, so that we would be justified, made right, made perfect by faith, you see. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, whose flesh? Your flesh. God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law, that is perfection, might be fulfilled in us. How does that happen? Because Christ fulfilled the law perfectly and he takes our sin and we get his righteousness, you see. It's the great exchange. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, we understand the law exposed sin for what it is and who I was, a sinner, realizing I could never be good enough to earn my salvation, sinner that I am, I am drawn to Christ and his work for me to be made perfect, to be made right. So, so again, you, you've likely heard all of that before, probably, Romans and Galatians. But to be clear, I just want to be clear for everybody sitting in this room today, listen. For you today, there is no one here good enough to earn your way to heaven. If you are sitting here today thinking, I've been a pretty good guy. I've been good to my wife, I've been good to my children. I, 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 I don't cheat on my taxes. Good for you. There is no one here good enough to make it to heaven. To be counted righteous by God, no matter how good you are, you are still guilty of sin and thereby fail to meet God's standard of perfect righteousness. A million lifetimes of doing good would not be enough. It would not be enough to make you righteous. Let me illustrate. Most of you are aware of those Microsoft games that come preloaded on Microsoft Office, right? You know what they are? Okay. Free Cell, Solitaire, Hearts, Spider Solitaire, all those, right? You know those? Those are the only games that I have on my computer. Not a game guy. But occasionally I will flip over and play a game or two of those. And I actually win them a lot. They're not that hard. But, you know, I've noticed that after you win, they, they give you your win-loss statistics, your win-loss percentage. And so let's go with one of them, Free Cell, for example. I win most of those. And even if I don't, all you got to do is hit Control-Z and go backwards. So I win most of those because I cheat. In fact, I win almost all of them because <laughs> I cheat. But if I play 200 games and win 199 of them, I've noticed something. My percentage stays at 99%. I've tried. I've tried to get it to 100%. It never reaches perfection because I'm not, you see. No matter how many good wins you have, you've got losses, actually a whole lot more than a few to, encounter, to include cheating. And besides, most of our wins are selfishly motivated anyway. We are imperfect. We can never reach 100%. We are desperately in need of God to forgive us based not on our good deeds, but on someone else's. Enter the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system that was given at the same time as the law. 
when you broke the law. The, the system of sacrifice was in place. And, and through priestly mediators, you, you found forgiveness. Now, now, to be clear, forgiveness always came through repentance and faith, faith in the grace that God would grant through the sacrifices. But again, now the author of Hebrews makes a takes it a stunning step further. Not only did the law not make people perfect, but the Levitical priesthood and all that it administered did not either. I want to be clear about that. If Jesus had never come and died on the cross for our sins, we could have killed every bull and goat and lamb on the planet. And we never would have found eternal forgiveness. If we could, why would there be another priest arise according to the order of Melchizedek? If we could, why then would Jesus come? And the author will now take the next three chapters to explain why, not the least of which all that blood, we talk about blood today, all that blood of all those sacrifices could never, ever take away sin forever. No, 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 no. They're just types pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of the ultimate high priest. And if you abandon that, you abandon the only sacrifice for sin that counts. I want to be clear about that, that in the Old Testament, yes, they found salvation by grace through faith in those sacrifices as their sins were rolled forward, rolled forward every year, every year, until they were finally and forever rolled on Christ. And now we don't offer lambs anymore. Because the Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world for those who believe. Verse 12. Yes, we've covered one verse. I'm almost done. For when the priesthood changed from Levi to Melchizedek, from, from the priest to Christ, of necessity, there was a change of law. Notice that that's not capitalized. I think that's the right translation for good reason. He's not talking about just the law of Moses, but the law pertaining to salvation. Whereas before salvation was found by faith, uh, uh, by, by grace through faith and the sacrifices of the Levitical priest, no longer, that priesthood is gone. It's kaput. It's dead. It now requires a different law of sacrifice. Point two, the need for another tribe then. Verses 13 to 17. For the one, the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe. This one is obviously not Melchizedek since we don't know his genealogy. We don't know what you're, He didn't come from any tribe. He had no mother, no father that we know of. He's speaking here of the one of Jesus. He came from another tribe, not Levi. And this other tribe, no, no one, from that tribe, no one ever officiated at the altar. No, that was the Levitical priest job, you see. Verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord was descended from the lion of the, excuse me, from the tribe of Judah. That's what we say, the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know it. You don't say Levi. A tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. In other words, priests did not come from that tribe. They didn't come from Judah. Kings came from that tribe. Oh. Oh. And then we remember from last week, Jesus is a priest forever after the Earl Melchizedek. He was a king and a priest. So Jesus was a king according to the tribe of Judah and a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. That's the point. I love it when people say there are contradictions in the Bible. Just to be clear, there are not. 
In fact, the thing, if you will study the Bible, those apparent contradictions can be explained. Not explained away, but explained. But after 30 years of studying the Bible, let me tell you the thing that amazes me is the, is the, is the infinite unity that exists. It is amazing how God took 40 different authors over a period of 1,400 years and put it together in one book, and it goes together perfectly. It's amazing. had to be another priesthood because the first one could make no one perfect. It took a king priest. Verse 15, and this is clearer still, if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, that's what we talked about last week, spirit of Abraham, spirit of Levi, king priest without descent from Levi, who has become such, that is a priest, not on the basis of the law of physical requirements, meaning he didn't come physically, he wasn't a descendant of Levi, but he met the requirement of the priesthood by nature of his indestructible life. This is incredible. Remember last week we saw that the Melchizedekian priesthood was superior to the Levitical priesthood because the blessing of Melchizedek, because the tithes given to Melchizedek, and don't forget the third, I told you not to forget it, because, he was, because of its perpetual eternal priesthood. So Jesus met the requirement because of the power of his indestructible life. Through his resurrection, do you see? He was proved with power to be the son of God through the resurrection, Romans 1 says. Indestructible life. Next verse. For it is attested of him, verse 17. You're a priest forever. That's the point. That's the emphasis. Forever. Because of his indestructible life, according to the order of Melchizedek, a new priesthood from a different tribe was needed because that old tribe, those priests died. And the law they ministered could never make anyone perfect. But Jesus met the qualifications perfectly. And we're just getting started. Chapters 8, 9, and 10 will make, it, make that priesthood and our Christ infinitely greater. Point three. The need of another commandment, verses 18 and 19. For, on, on the one hand, th- there is a setting aside of a, f- of a former commandment. All that was encompassed in the old covenant, the law and the Levitical priesthood and its sacrifices, that has been set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. Stop right there. So, this kind of bothers me a little bit. It's, I, I, I thought God gave that the Old Testament law and the Levitical system. He did. I thought he gave the same. He did. As a type of the greater that was yet to come. I want to be very clear. If we cling to the type, we will never embrace the greater. That's his point. Not only that, the old commandment found in the old covenant, the law was weak. Not because there was something wrong with the law. Oh, no. The law was holy and right and good. It was weak because of the weakness of our flesh. Remember Romans 8, 3. The law could not justify anyone because our flesh was weak. It could never make anyone perfect because no one could keep the law. In that sense, it was useless for salvation. But listen, that was never its intent. The, 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 the law was never given to make you righteous, but to show you that you were unrighteous and you needed something else. Verse 19, on the other hand, 
The law made nothing perfect, nothing, because we're not perfect. So, so, so on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope. Hallelujah. Through which, notice, through which we draw near to God. Again, incredible. The old covenant with its laws and sacrifices kept people from God. Remember that thick veil of the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place? Separated people from the very presence of God? And only the high priest once a year could go in, rope tied around his waist, to offer a a sacrifice first for his own sins and the sins of the people? The whole setup screamed, you are unholy. You cannot enter there. It's tied the rope around in case he died so they could drag him out because ain't nobody going in there to get him. Because you're too unholy. Stay away. But now our great high priest has entered through the veil as a forerunner for us. So that, back to chapter 4, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the veil, through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Don't quit. Therefore, let us, that's what he says, let us draw near. Do you see? Without the new priesthood, we could not draw near. That's the point of worship, is it not? It's the point of serving God so that we can draw near to him. And now we can draw near. In the old covenant, we could not. We can draw near with confidence to the very throne of grace so we may receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. So, my brothers and sisters, I'm done. We have an infinitely better hope. It is the only hope. The only hope. Someone asked you the question, can people get... No. Because salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There is no other way. But further... In the midst of trouble and trial and struggle and opposition and persecution, do we quit? No. We stay firm. And we can actually, in the midst of those struggles and those trials, we can actually draw near to God to find help. Let's pray. Father, what an incredible truth. It's just starting to come together. Some of these truths may be uh, uh, old to us. We know them. But the author of Hebrews makes a stunning declaration that apart from the new covenant, there was no hope for us. We would never have been able to draw near to you. And right now we draw near. I can talk to you through the one mediator. His name is Jesus, who has gone as a forerunner sits at your right hand and makes intercession for us. So I can come to the very throne of grace. I can pray for these, your people. But I'm not a priest. They can pray. They can come into your presence. We can pray because of what, who Christ is and what he has done. A greater hope, a better hope, a greater priesthood. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.